In the gospel narratives, we are given many verbal portraits of our Savior, all recorded by the gospel writers who were moved by the Holy Spirit to reveal to us what Christ was like. I encourage you to spend much time in the gospels to view these portraits of our Savior. We've seen him touched by a leper's plight, being moved to even touch him physically, the untouchables, and willing to come near their despair and heal them. We see him weeping at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, moved at his sister's grief and his own love and grief for his friend. We see him have compassion on hungry crowds and feeding them, providing their needs. And at the cross, bleeding, dying for our sin, even there he remembers his mother Mary and commits her to the care of John the Apostle. There are many, many beautiful portraits of our Savior in the Gospels. But to me, perhaps the most beautiful of all, the most tender, are the verbal instances or several instances of his giving what we see here, his interactions with children. I think you can tell a lot by any person by their interactions with children and how they get along with children. Now, I know that that's a big statement there. There are all kinds of children, aren't they? But uh, it says a lot about a person and who they are. We've been investigating the last several weeks the faith that the Lord commends Remember, he, when the centurion asked him to heal his servant, and he said, you don't have to come. You can speak where you are. And the, the Lord said, I've not seen so, such faith in all of Israel. And so we've been tracing through these, these narratives of faith, the kind of faith that our Lord commends. The Greek word here for young children indicates it can mean anything up to preschool. But I think here in the specific word deals mostly with infants are toddlers. And so these are before the age of knowing, you know, facts. They know their parents and their parents' voice and, and they know love and, and that kind of thing. But this is who we have in mind. Jesus takes them in his arms. So it seems to me to be infants up to younger children or, or babies or even toddlers, too young to understand his teachings about repentance and faith, about his coming death on the cross or his kingdom on earth. It was a common practice among Jews to bring their children to respected rabbis, prominent rabbis, and to seek them out to bless their children. So that in itself was not unusual, what these parents are doing. But we see here in these parents the desire of the Lord's blessings upon their children. And I'm sure that I'm speaking to a group of people, I know you, most of you, very intimately, and that is your desire, the Lord's blessing in your children's lives. This should be a consuming drive and fire to every parent to bring their children to the Lord at the earliest possible time and to keep them there, either by prayer or by your influence and your physical bringing them to him as long as you can, a major, major part of your parenting. We think of Hannah, don't we? First Samuel chapter 1, who was barren, who pleaded with the Lord and begged for a child. And when the Lord blessed her with a son... 
The Bible teaches in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 24, she brought him into the house of the Lord. Oh, what a pattern for us. We often quote that verse when our parents bring their children to dedicate them to the Lord. And she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh where the tabernacle was set up and the child was young. And then in verse 27, she said, praying, Oh, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here, praying to the Lord. For this child I pray, and the Lord hath given me the petition which I asked of him. Therefore also I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. What a beautiful picture, a mother lending her baby back to the Lord, whom first lent the baby to her. Oh, what a holy transaction. Oh, what this ought to be every heart of every parent here. Now, children are among the Lord's most gracious gifts, his blessings. The Psalms over and over again reiterate that. I think of Psalm 127, verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Oh, our society is looking more and more down on that, that very teaching. But that is the stalwart teaching of God's word. Precious, precious lives. As arrows in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of his youth. Just as arrows are to be sharpened and the soldiers of the past made their own arrows and spent a great deal of time in making them just as sharp and as pointed as they could to reach the goal. This is the pruning, the teaching, the leading, the guiding work that parents are to do. As those uh, are children of the youth, happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. In the membership class just a few minutes ago, one of the new folks asked me how many children we had. And I began to tell them about our children and that we had some in heaven and we desired a large family. It dawned on us one day, finally, when I was wrestling with our little boy, I said, the Lord gave us several just in this one child here. He, those of you who know him, he was a rounder and uh, it, took, it took a village, it took a church to, to raise him and to point him in the right direction. Psalm 128, verse 3, Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, thy children like olive plants round about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. I want us to look at this text in three divisions. I want us to divide it in this way. First of all, the earnest desire of these parents. We see that in verse 13. They brought them their children to the Lord. Secondly, I want us to see the rebuke of our Lord's disciples. What is that about? Why would they do such a thing? The rebuke of the disciples in verse 13. And I would say that true faith always meets obstacles in its path. You children, you parents bringing your children to the Lord will meet many obstacles. The world around us, the very process of rearing them, there will be many obstacles in your way of bringing your children to the Lord. And seeing that they know him and love him and serve him, there are obstacles. And and some of them are so-called well-meaning people. And thirdly, our Lord's commendation and blessing of those who came in verses 14 through 16. But first, look there at the earnest desire of these parents. Verse 13 tells us, and, always notice those conjunctions, and they brought young children, infants, toddlers, babies, young ones, to him that he should touch them. In other words, that he would lay his hands upon them 
and to pray for them. They had seen his touch. They had heard of his touch, his willingness to touch even leprous people. And so they bring their children for his touch. They've heard of the incurable cases, the horrible diseases, and they wanted the Lord to pray over their children. Now notice our verse begins, our section here begins with the word and. So we always interpret the scripture in the context. And they brought him just prior to this in chapter 10. He has taught about marriage and divorce, something that affects children gravely. They were trying to entrap the Lord and ask him about what he thought about it. He teaches on that. I'm not going to deal with that here, but you need to know that's what preceded. And then a large number of people brought their children, or a number of people brought their children to him. Our Lord is concerned about our homes and our marriages. It is the most important, the home is the most important entity on earth. No wonder Satan throws all of his strongest ammunitions against the home. And we must continually bring our children, our marriages, our homes, uh, and before the throne of grace and to seek the Lord's blessing. And that's what this church is all about. To the praise and honor and glory of our Lord, we love babies, we love children, we love young couples, and we love all it means of rearing children. This church for over 50 years, under the burden of that, founded a Christian school, not just for a luxury, not just... Uh, for that kind of thing, but to, to rear children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. It is a discipling arm of our church and a vital part of it. And all that we do, the, the Wednesday programs when, and, and Awana programs and all, and our Sunday school programs, we have two children's churches going on just now to point young people to the Lord. There's no indication here that he healed them that these children were sick. That's, there's nothing said about that or that, they, that that was their primary reason for coming. They sought his blessing. They wanted his influence over them. And, and to seek his blessing, parents, we need to do that, to seek his direction, his wisdom for your home today. As you've come to worship, I hope you're praying and saying, Lord, bless our home. All oh, these families that are here, the children that are here, bless them, guide them, Point them toward you, Lord. Do what we cannot do and help us to do all that we're supposed to do. And I want you to know you've come to the right place. You've come to where he is ministering, where his word and his spirit is at work. Come to Jesus and bring your children. I think I've shared with you on numerous occasions that I was raised in a home of a believing parent and an unbelieving parent. My mother was a very godly lady. And uh, she, if, you know, she was a general looking for an army. I'll tell you, that's the way she did things. And we was walked, you know, even not from the heart by the letter of the law and the ways of the Lord. And uh, when I was eight years old, nine years old, my father was stricken with uh, life-threatening cancer. They gave him just months to live. And my mother, who had been very active in the church, taught a Sunday school class, sang in the choir, um, all of those things and saw that we were there, even though my father was not, we were always there. Uh, she was then at, from that period of time for five years, he lived longer than what they expected for five years. She was at his side and took care of him and nursed him. And I was just thinking as I was preparing this of bringing your children to the Lord and all that time, I never remember missing a Sunday. And we lived a great distance from our church. She had to navigate and arrange for people to come get us to make sure we were in Sunday school and church, the youth programs. It was so important to her. And while she did not leave his side, rarely during that period of time, we did not miss church. 
Now, I know that people have different opinions about that, but I will tell you, I stand here as a product of that kind of parenting. Of course, the grace of God and the glorious saving grace, but all oh, the seed that was planted and the attitude of importance about the Lord's work in his house, a reverence and awe over everything spiritual from the hymns, the singing of the hymns, the reading of the scriptures my mother led in devotions in our home every day at the breakfast table, uh, you know, went through the scripture and she did her best to point us to the Lord. I'm eternally grateful for that. Parents, can I just say that bring your children to Jesus. Now, these little ones are dependent upon you for their care, for their nourishment, and they're dependent upon you for their vital link to the Lord. They know of him first through you. You're the first, you fathers, that they'll learn of a heavenly father. And you mothers, they see the nurturing care of a savior and the Holy Spirit and a heavenly father. They see all of that. Do all you can. Overcome every obstacle. And there will be obstacles. These well-meaning, I think, disciples who thought they were bothering the Lord uh, stood in their way. They felt like they were the Lord's gatekeepers and the people were constantly at him. But they never got it that the Lord loved these people and wanted to minister to them and was using every ounce of his energy and time until he went to the cross and he wanted the children to come to him. That's what you need to see here. The Lord loves, Jesus does love the little children. Oh, get your, your children to him. Refuse to let anything stand in your way of influencing your children, your grandchildren. Your grandparents don't check out. You keep plowing just like you did with your own. Don't ever stop as long as you have breath. You point them to the Lord Jesus Christ in his word. No matter how formidable the circumstances are, these disciples, as I've said, saw him themselves as his gatekeepers. They were trying to protect the Lord. You get up past those obstacles and you bring them to the Lord. Our Lord will give an important lesson here to his disciples and all the onlookers, the Pharisees who were convinced that their good deeds, their, their own righteousness would get them entrance into heaven. They're about to see an object lesson and learn firsthand that nothing could be further from the truth, that no rites, no religious ritual will gain entrance into heaven. Now, these parents here saw our Lord's tenderness, his majesty, his power. They'd heard of his miracle-working power. And I don't know what all they were expecting, but they wanted him to influence their children. They heard his preaching about his coming kingdom and salvation and who would have it. And they wanted their children to know the Lord to be eternally his. And so they came as best as they knew how. They came bringing their little ones to the Lord. God sees your heart, parents. Do everything you can. I don't know how to emphasize it more to ever have them under the preaching of the gospel and godly influence. A godly pastor, teachers, they need that. They need to hear other voices besides yours point them to the Lord. My wife and I always had the philosophy that we knew there would come a time just by rearing and natural progression that our children would probably tune us out. And we made sure, and by the grace of God, that there would be other people who would say the same thing, what they needed to hear, even when it wasn't coming from our voice. In this church, you folks here helped us along the way do just that. And let me just say here, upon doing so, uh, they brought them to the Lord. He did not baptize them. 
did he? There's no indication of that whatsoever in these verses. He didn't sprinkle them, nor did his disciples. They were shooing them away. They weren't trying to do some religious rites. If infant baptism was to be instituted by our Lord, surely this would have been a time to have done it. He would have said that this is what you should do with these children. That's not what he did. In the, in the three of the Gospels, this same event is recorded. This incident is given, and in none of them is the slightest indication of any religious ritual whatsoever. He simply took him in his arms. I can see Jesus kissing him on the forehead, can't you? And, and, and dealing with them, praying over them, giving them back to their mother. No more precious, tender picture in all the Bible. Why did they not ask him to do something else? I would tell you, and I preached recently when our series on heaven, who will be there and who will not be there, these children are safe. Safe in the arms of Jesus. You'll go through any cemetery and you'll see on little bitty graves, on teeny tiny tombstones, that phrase, safe in the arms of Jesus. These are safe. They have not, these are not of the age of understanding of sin or salvation. And Jesus says here they're already in his kingdom. These infant ones, these little ones, if they were to die then, they would be ushered into the presence of the Lord. What does he say there in verse 14? For such is the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees here thought you could earn your way by their esteem, by their exalted position in in Phariseeism and in Judaism. Surely they had gained entrance in heaven. They were quite sure of it. How shocked they were to hear Christ say that these infants were in his kingdom or a part of his kingdom. They could keep no law. They could do no good works. And yet they were his. Here he was saying that they were in the kingdom apart from their inability to do anything uh, to merit salvation. Salvation is by grace alone, apart from works. And we see the earnest desire of these parents in doing so. Charles Spurgeon writes of his own mother's care and concern. His father was a pastor. His grandfather was a pastor. And his mother on Sunday evenings would take notes from her husband's and her her father's sermons. And uh, she would say, she would ask, when are you going to seek the Lord? When are you going to give the Lord your heart? She would ask her, her children and she, she, he would hit, said, I would hear my mother pray. Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from ignorance that they perish. And my soul must bear a swift witness against them at the day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. That thought of my mother's bearing swift witness against me pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. This pleading with them for God and with God for them is the true way to bring children to Christ. Virgin Road. Think of it. How could anyone stand in the way of anybody coming to Jesus? Yet this is often done. Think of all the parents home today or on the ball fields or on travel ball. Oh, they're, they're real concerned about juniors or Julie's proficiency in sports far more than their soul you wouldn't think of parents and well-meaning ones who make sure they have their dental appointments and their vitamins and that they brush their teeth we have some dentists here you'll be glad i put in a a (laughs) plug for you and make sure they don't miss an appointment make sure they do their homework 
don't miss a day of school. But Sunday? Sunday school? The Lord's house? How somehow, no, that's not, that's not as high on the agenda as those other things. Have you thought of parents being an obstacle to their children coming to the Lord? There are obstacles rather than doorways for their children to hear of Christ. Oh, never miss an opportunity to have them hear the gospel. They pamper their bodies and they make sure they enjoy every so-called pleasure. But their souls, their immortal souls. When that day, when the conscience is awakened and will be awakened, they're no longer a toddler. They're young children. They know right from wrong. They are responsible for their actions. Or they get in trouble at school and at last... The parents start thinking of the spiritual, want the pastor to talk to them, call on the Sunday school teacher and the youth director, talk some sense into this boy of mine. They're like Lot when he goes to his sons-in-law when the Lord is about to rain fire on Sodom and Lot goes and, and pleads with them. And what did they do? They laughed at him. He'd never spoken to them of their soul before them, obviously. Doom and fire and brimstone. Oh, you crazy old man. What, who are you to talk to us about our souls and about fire and brimstone? Too little, too late. These are tender years. Impressionable years. You don't think the world is impressing your children? You don't think that Disney World and the media and the, the video games are not impressing upon your children something, a philosophy. The songs they're singing in the nursery today about Jesus loving the little children and Jesus Savior strong and kind and the lessons from the Bible. These are all seeds that are being planted in the garden of their heart for a spiritual harvest one day. When the heart is awakened by sin and they realize their need for a Savior and the Spirit of Christ works upon them and moves upon them and Christ is welcomed and received. May none of us be as these disciples and become stumbling blocks to our children coming to Christ. Check your attitudes, parents, your bitterness, your sharp tongues, critiquing their teachers and their pastors, having Rose Pastor on the way and at home today. You'll want that child to listen to me one day. You'll be begging for them to hear what the Bible has to say and their hearts to be surrendered to Him. Don't, don't destroy the influence of those who stand in the gap for your children. Many ways to, be, to do what these disciples did. They need these teachers, your children do, and you'll, you'll want to, them to hear them one day. These ignorant, ignorant disciples sharply rebuke these parents for disturbing the Savior. Let me just tell you right here, you cannot disturb the Savior. They reprimanded them. Others, as well-meaning as they, may, be, may censure you and your zeal and your efforts of raising your children around the things of the Lord. Let them bark. Let them have it. You have a holy contract with a God who opened your womb and gave you those little ones to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Can the church say amen right there? This world is not neutral. 
Satan and his demons are not neutral about what they're trying to do. You be undeterred. Be like Hannah of old. You're going to have the, to fight the world and the flesh and the devil for your children. And Disney and Hollywood and the music industry and hell itself. But after all, when the Lord put his son on this earth, where did he place him? He placed him in the, the hands of sinful parents. In a mother's arms. An earthly guardian of Joseph. He raised him in a home. He wasn't raised by angels in a, in a monastery somewhere. He was raised in a home just like yours. So that's what our Lord thinks about the family. We see their earnest desire. But desire is not enough, is it? We see their action. And we see the rebuke of the disciples. But thirdly, I want you to see our Lord's commendation in his blessing of these children. Verse 14, allow, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, whosoever, he used these children as an object lessons to all the adults gathered around there. Whosoever will not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. No plainer words about who will be in heaven and who will not be than these by our Lord. Here we have our Lord clearly explaining the conditions of salvation, of who can be saved. How blessedly simple it is and how horrible it is for preachers and theologians to, to make it confusing. Verse 14 tells us Jesus was much displeased. He was indignant with his disciples. That's interesting, isn't it? We see our Lord mad at the money changers' tables in the temple, and here he's mad at his disciples, and rightfully so. They were standing in the way of these earnest parents bringing their children to him, and he was upset at his disciples for their actions. I don't know what all he said. He said, this is recorded for us, but I'm sure they got the message, don't you, and how they treated these children. He wasn't upset with the parents, but he was up Sit at the roadblocks, those standing in the way. While these little ones were presently safe, there would come a time when their innocence will melt away. They would turn, their innocence will turn into willfulness, and their children would be, be, make errors by, because of sinful choices. I want you to spend these last moments here as we address those of you in that category. We see that salvation is absolutely and entirely by grace. These children could do nothing to gain heaven. They couldn't buy anything. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't go anywhere. They were saved or safe, we would say, because of God's grace. This was a crushing blow to the theology of those Pharisees who were gathered there who tithed of their kitchen garden herbs. They were so careful that they tithed of the mint and the cumin even that. They were so careful. Outwardly, they were careful. And even today, there are those who think you can earn salvation by what you do, how careful you are. Mark says our Lord graciously places his gentle hands that will soon be wounded with a nail pierced. These gentle hands, he picks up these little ones and he emphasizes their unique place in his kingdom. 
He took them in his arms and folded his arms around them. What a picture of salvation is when you come to Christ, you give him your soul. That way you trust your soul into the loving arms of the Savior. Oh, what a safe place to be. What a loving place to be in the arms of Jesus. He blessed, he prayed for each one of them fervently. All a picture of his salvation that is free and by grace alone. And as one writer puts it, the greatest blessing parents can confer on their children is to lovingly evangelize them. That is their highest priority as stewards of their children's lives once they're old enough to understand and believe the gospel. But the work goes far beyond their being old enough to understand it. Their children's salvation is a sovereign work of God, but parents are the agents by which that divine work is accomplished. They are the primary missionaries in the lives of their children. Oh, what a mission field around your dining room table. Oh, they're future preachers and parents, and you're raising future parents. Did you know that? My wife would often remind us of that, especially with our son. He's going to be the head of a household one day. We can't let this. Can you imagine? I said, well, he's not yet. He's just a kid. But that's our goal. You keep that goal in front of you, what they're going to be. That daughter's going to be a mother one day. We enter God's kingdom by faith, don't we? Like little children, helpless, unable to save ourselves, unable to change our sinful condition, our ways. We're totally dependent upon the mercy and the grace of God. And so we hear the gospel that he will save and we come to Jesus. We bring him our hurts and our failures and our sin, our inability, and we surrender to him. And I I would ask you to do that just now, those of you under the sound of my voice, and rest your soul just as those little children were placed in Jesus' arms Rest your soul there. Cease from your striving and your effort and come to him and rest in his arms as a little child in his father's strong arms. Is there anything more peaceful to see a baby asleep on his mother or his daddy's breast? Laying there, not a care in the world, not not alarmed, not worrying about how he's going to work it out or what's going to do next or where they're going to eat. He's just resting Oh, the rest of your soul. Your soul needs to rest in the finished work of Christ. He's done it all. It is finished, he cried. As his life left him in the temple veil was rent from the top to bottom, opening the way to God. We can come freely and you can come just now. Trust your soul to him. Become childlike in your faith and your trust. We warn these teachers and these children workers, the children will believe what you say. You better say what is true. You don't use fear. You teach the claims of Christ, the verities of the gospel. You gently and preciously lead them to a Savior who's willing and ready to save them. Oh, the most important work in this church is being done among the children. And my hat's off to all of you children's workers. We pray for you. We met this morning and prayed for you. We must all become his children. They're very gullible, aren't they? Very believable. Children don't have to have everything figured out. And you don't have to have all the theology figured out to come to the Lord. You may have many questions. You may have said, I've been an agnostic or I've not believed the miracles of the Lord. I don't know how he does all those things. You don't have to know all those things. All you have to do is come to him and believe him and take him at his word. 
to as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God. He does the saving. He does it all. You must come to him as you are, turning from your sin and receive him by faith. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon a little child. Pity my simplicity. Suffer me to come to thee. O gracious Lord, we marvel at your word and at your glorious gospel. I pray, Lord, that you would take it and show it to that one or those ones who are outside of your grace and who need to be saved. We bring you the praise and the honor and the glory that is due your name. We're reminded that it was the little children who sang and who cried Hosanna and lined the streets when you came into Jerusalem. Oh, our children sing with all their hearts today. No one had to beg or plead with them to join in and to take part. They willingly have received the word that was taught and preached to them today. May we be that way. Oh, Lord, would you intervene during this time as we contemplate what we've heard and save many for your name's sake and for your son's blessed honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.